wonder if anyone else struggles to understand how being called a Good Friday. You know, it's just uh, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it, that we call this Good Friday when we recognise, of course, what has happened to Jesus. We, we sometimes, well, I struggle to know how is that good. Of course, different things can mean can mean different things to different people and in different cultures. Um, I remember going to uh, Indonesia for the first time and uh, seeing on in the Hindu temple the, the swastika. I was shocked. Um, it was obviously a very old symbol, but and in the Hindu faith, that is, of course, it's one of the divinity of spirituality. But for me, um, um, the last hundred years, or less than a hundred years, the swastika has meant so much different, doesn't it? It meant hatred, it meant death, it meant destruction. The cross is a symbol, um, and for some people it's simply a symbol of, symbol of death. We uh, drive along the road, we, we see a cross on a um, nailed to a telegraph pole, we know what that means, don't we? That, that means death. It means someone out there has mourned the loss of someone and... Uh, they wanted to mark that by putting a cross on it. But for those who, of us who are followers of Jesus, we have learnt to see the cross as something more than just death. There is certainly that element. But it's, it's really a symbol of the highest honour. It is a symbol of, uh, of, of the exaltation of Jesus Christ as the King. And my desire today is for us to focus on why that's the case. Why we actually can call today Good Friday. And there's three things I'd like to focus on to, to demonstrate maybe to you why this is Good Friday. I wonder if you think back, if you know the, some of the, the Bible stories, you might remember of this woman, Mary, who, who took perfume and she... She anointed Jesus and uh, the smell of the perfume just filled the whole house because it was very expensive perfume. And, and this woman was a woman of uh, questionable morality. And Jesus, of course, was questioned, why would you let that woman touch you? And she was, Jesus said, she was anointing him ready for his death. And that's certainly the case. But we also see in that, in that same chapter, chapter 2, John, uh, John chapter 12, it, she was anointing him for his kingship, recognised as king. John chapter 12, verse just after this, it said, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and as is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not, did not understand this. They, they, they were confused. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and these things had been done, and these things had been done to him. We see... We see that woman Mary in secret doing anointing Jesus in a way that will be recognised by others that very next day. 
They remind me of King David. Do you remember King David who was anointed? Um, Samuel was going out looking for the, the new king to anoint and, and Samuel went to Jesse, Jesse's house with all these, all these strapping young men. Surely one of these are going to be the next king. And David, we know, was, wasn't, even in, wasn't even called from the field because he's the wimpy guy who's just out looking after the sheep, the youngest, he's, he's insignificant. And the same way we see Jesus, this carpenter from a backwater named Nazareth, he would never amount to much. Like, he was nothing spectacular, nothing significant, easy to overlook. But just as David was anointed with that oil by Samuel, there is Jesus being anointed with that oil by this, this woman, this woman of questionable morality. Yes, Jesus was walking to his execution, he understood that, but he's also walking towards his coronation as a king. Mary's anointing was for Jesus' death, but also for recognition of Jesus as king. It was, uh, it was not, as we read there, the disciples did not understand at the time. It was only after, they, after Jesus was glorified that they realised this. This all happened in the time of the Passover. The Passover was, uh, was marked by a moon, a full moon, and that's why we have Easter moons, don't we? We have those big, big full moons around Easter time. And the Passover was one of those nervous times for those in, in power in Jerusalem because, because they, this tension rose, because there was an expectation that God may actually act to save Israel. God might act to do something to bring them out of slavery into freedom, just like he did back in Egypt. That Passover lamb was sacrificed, the, the blood was put over the doorpost back in Egypt so that they might be saved. Every Passover needed a Passover lamb. The lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people so that the wrath of God would not, would not be poured upon them, that the blood would cover them. They needed, a, they needed a Passover lamb in Exodus. In the true Passover, they'd need a Passover lamb. And 800 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And he described what they should look for. We see Isaiah 53. It's 800 years before Jesus was born. <clears throat> what should they look for? Isaiah said, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Might even be a carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a, a man of suffering uh, and for me with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, 
yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We are healed. We are like sheep gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sinfulness, the evil of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his descent, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will, listen to this, to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper in his in his in his hand. Jesus himself was the Passover lamb. The one that Isaiah said 800 years, look out for this guy, look out for this one. This is what he looks like. I hope that you realise today your need for a Passover lamb. Jesus Christ our Lord. The third thing I want to focus on say is the sign on the cross um, we read in John chapter 19 verse 19 Pilate had prepared a, uh, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross it read Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic in Latin and Greek the chief priests of the, the, the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. Isn't it amazing how God uses even the, the sinful actions of a, of, a, of a person who doesn't even acknowledge him for his own purposes? He was, he was meant to be humiliated with the purple robe and the mock worship. Yet God takes it and uses it for his own purpose. And we see, even though it's unintended, Jesus worshipped as the true king right there and then. What was meant to be an instrument of torture, the crown of thorns, proved to be the most powerful crown ever to sit on any king's head. What was meant to be an accusation, a judgment against Jesus, a sign in every possible language that anyone around there would be able to read, testifies to the declaration that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king for the world to see and the world to acknowledge. What was to be raised up to show the world was that this is your king. It was declared on the sign for all the world to see. He is the king of kings. And 
And of course, the cross was meant to be a, a, a way of executing people so the Romans would use it as a, as a signpost. If you want to go against Rome, if you want to rebel, this is what happens to you. And of course, the criminals would spend days and days before they would die, generally speaking. And then they'd be left up there. Their bodies would be left up there to advertise to the world. You want to go the way of rebellion against Rome, this is what will happen to you. I hope you realise there's a higher purpose for your life. You have a higher purpose in your life than to live 80 or 90 years, if you're lucky, with some healthy years, if you're lucky. You have a greater purpose than just to consume, to, to buy things, to work, to reproduce, to be productive. Your purpose as a human being is far more meaningful and big and eternal than you could ever imagine. The cross may have meant suffering, but now it means joy. The cross may have meant condemnation, but now it means freedom. The cross may have meant guilt, but now the cross means forgiveness. The cross may have meant criminal or crime, but now the cross means king. The cross may have meant deceit, but now it means truth. The cross may have mean, meant rebellion, but now it means victory. The cross may have meant death, but now, now it means life. The cross may have meant hatred, but now it means love. So let me ask you, what does the cross mean to you? What does this cross mean to you? You might hate the cross. You might love the cross. But please don't be indifferent to the cross. I can imagine some people saying, well, you know, I tried that. It wasn't for me. Well, let me ask you, what did you try? If you tried you know, heading off to church a couple of times or following the rules or trying to do the right thing, well, I don't blame you for turning from that. That's, that's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of the cross. Too often church has been about uh, turning up, helping out, feeling guilty and feeling trapped. Jesus died so that you didn't have to do anything. Jesus died so that you could be a part of his kingdom, a part of his family, a part of his, his, his crew, but you didn't actually have to do anything. You don't have to achieve anything. All you have to do is accept. At the start of the Bible, there's this uh, story of the Garden of Eden. There's strange trees in the Garden of Eden. There's two strange trees, but let me focus on one. It's the tree of life. And at the start of the Bible, in Genesis, the tree of life was really what it, meant, what, what it sounds like it's meant to be. It's a source of life for everyone. It was, it was freely available to anyone to come and take, the, the, take from the tree of, of life. But when sin came into the world, when evil and corruption came in, 
Can you imagine anything more horrific than to remain in this existence with evil in our lives for eternity? Is there anything that could be more horrible to live with disease, live with death, live with sadness for eternity? And so God in his grace uh, removed the tree from, from for access to the tree because who would want to live this way? But in Revelation, then, the last book of the Bible, um, the, we see that the leaves of the tree of life, there they are again, and they're available to the nations. Um, the leaves will bring wholeness, they'll bring healing, they'll bring joy. And when that happens, yes, we can start living forever. When there's wholeness and happiness and joy and love, when there's healing, we can joy, uh, we can live forever. The tree of life is not just a future hope. It is a, a present reality. There are places in the scriptures where it talks about the cross of Christ being the tree. Here we have before us the tree of life. One that you can come to. One where you'll find healing. One where you'll find purpose. And one where we can trust the king who died on that. So you might have tried that Christian thing, but if you've tried anything, if, 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 if you've not tried this relationship with Jesus, this love of Jesus, then you've not tried this Christian thing. The invitation that we each have is to come to the tree of life, to start the healing process, to find the healing that is offered here in this tree of life. Jesus gave us these words uh, and I'd love for us to just ponder this. This is the uh, words from our king. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Is that an invitation that's appealing? Because it's open to each one of us today. And the question I want you to think about is, are you coming? Are you coming to Jesus to find your rest? In a moment, the uh, musicians are going to come in to you know, lead us in another song of, of, of praise and worship. But just as they do, I just want to leave those words up. And uh, this is for a moment, just to ponder this invitation. The king, the one who's been exalted, the one who's been shown to the world, is the king of kings and lords of lords, offers rest to your soul. I hope you find that something appealing. Mm -hmm.